Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If somebody said it was a happy little tale, somebody lied. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Welcome to Now Playing's Amazing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. Can Spider-Man come out to play? Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. The real crime would be not to finish what we started. Hosted by Jacob. What's the matter with this guy? Is he crazy? Stuart. Now this one's an original. And Arnie. But what's the difference what he thinks? I'm just getting an opinion from a man on the street, okay? Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com every Tuesday and Friday for another Spider-Man movie review, ending in a week of release review of this summer's The Amazing Spider-Man. We're gonna have a hell of a time. Ooh, my spider sense is tingling. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but if your spider sense is tingling, it's because this podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. So listener discretion is advised. Go get him, Tiger. Today we're discussing Spider-Man. No, not that Spider-Man, another Spider-Man. This one starring Nicholas Hammond, David White, Michael Pataki, Hilly Hicks, and directed by E.W. Swackhammer. The best director's name ever, if not the best director ever. It's a good porn director's name, Swackhammer. E.W. Swackhammer, coming at you with Spider-Man. This is Arnie, and my spider sense is tingling because Stuart and Jacob are watching a TV movie again. <laughs> I thought I was out, and then you pulled me back in. With a web. Yes, Stuart in L.A. Or a rope, Arnie. This is Jacob. You guys got 46 bucks I could borrow? <laughs> Jacob, I don't. Maybe a listener does. We are still doing our donation series for aliens, Prometheus, and Spielberg. Hmm. <laughs> But yes, we are back at Marvel after a brief detour through DC Land and Batman. We'll be returning to Batman in a few weeks with the Nolan films. But first, The Amazing Spider-Man is coming with the reboot. And so we are going through all of Spider-Man's films. And yes, once again, I'm stuck in the very awkward position of being the one going, it was released theatrically overseas. What country? <laughs> what country? <laughs> and let's declare war on them. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There is this argument that it was theatrically internationally, but it should also be said, Arnie, that Hulk and Spider-Man, as far as I know, are your favorite comic book characters. If this were, <laughs> I don't know, Ant-Man, the series, we may have skipped it. We watched Doctor Strange and Captain America, and the countries, by the way, are West Germany, Finland, and Turkey. Hmm. I had so much more respect for them. <laughs> but yes, Spider-Man is my number one. Hulk is possibly my number one, but really my number two. I grew up with Spider-Man, Mego action figures, watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends on NBC Spidey Super Stories on the Electric Company. I had Spider-Man record albums. I never got into comics, but 
all the rest of it, I was down with Spider-Man. And when I did get into comic books in my teenage years, Spider-Man was the one. I've read even more Spider-Man comics than I've read Hulk comics. So, Jacob, you might get an easy ride this retrospective. I hope so, because when I was like four or five... I was all about Spider-Man. I had those Mego figures. I'm pretty sure I watched this TV show unless there was another live action one. No, it's this one. So I've watched these episodes before. I watched the bad, what is it, 60s animated one where they barely moved. The bad? That had the best theme song ever. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Yeah, no, that's... No, I... I agree. Like, this is very young age. This was the superhero for me, Spider-Man. But in 89, when I got into comics through Batman, I tried reading Spider-Man, and I really don't like Spider-Man comics. I've never been able to get into <laughs> Spider-Man comics. I try over and over. Even when they try to do a dark take on him where he killed his wife with his radioactive semen, I couldn't get into <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> wow. True story, Stuart. This may be my closest affiliation with a superhero yet. I have worn Spider-Man underwear. <laughs> the Spider-Man underoos are my first and only underoos owning. If you don't know what underoos are, they actually designed a night t-shirt and tidy whities that weren't white. In this case, they were red and blue. And I, you know, I had a little spider on my chest. Yeah, it's a way of kids dressing up on the cheap, you know. I thought Spider-Man was cool when I was at an age that I could fit into that underwear. And after that time, I didn't give him a whole lot of consideration. I have seen Spider-Man on Broadway. (laughs) And I have seen the first Raimi movie in theaters, but weeks after it premiered, I wasn't super hyped about it. And I did watch that cartoon, that cartoon being the 60s one. I didn't watch his amazing friends. I didn't know about this TV series at all. I don't think I knew it even existed. So I guess I'm the closest to a newbie you got. Everyone knows Spider-Man, but beyond what's in pop culture, I really don't know the character. I feel like I must now defend Spider-Man, the comic incarnation, from a more adult perspective. When I got into it, a lot of it for me was reliving my childhood and remembering that I had the record with the man-wolf who was Jonah Jameson's son with the moon rock. And going through all of that, it was also around the time Venom was introduced, and Venom was a very cool idea. It was the 90s. I loved Venom. I didn't like Spider-Man, but Venom, he was the black Spider-Man and evil. So yes, I could get into him. And for me, Spider-Man was also an entry point into the Marvel Universe. Through reading Spider-Man comics, somebody I knew, I was able to learn about these other things. Because I said I never read Spider-Man comics, I should clarify that. I never read Spider-Man comic books, because I didn't realize they weren't the same thing as the Spider-Man comic strip published in the Chicago Tribune and syndicated across the world. I... My started cutting those strips out when I was age four, and I have them glued into binders every strip from 1979 through 1992. So I read all of those. I thought that was Spider-Man comics. Stewart's talking to me about Venom and Black Suit Spider-Man, and I'm like, that never happened. And he's like, no, you need to read a comic book. And that's how I got in. And then I'm like reading about Captain America, Wolverine, Fantastic Four, all through the gateway drug of Spider-Man. 
I still think there's some really interesting storytelling going on. I think it's impossible to go through this retrospective series without discussing it somewhat, but I will try to keep it to a minimum. And look, I know the origins of Spider-Man and Peter Parker, and I'm going to say it, this character has a lot of depth to him. Like, I can't deny that. Academically, like Spider-Man, at least early on, great origin story, great character, what he means for Marvel, what he did for Marvel and why. I academically get all that. Just never a character I was able to get into and enjoy it month to month in the comic books. The thing that I know about him is that he's a wise ass. Unlike any of the other superheroes that I can think of, it's always been known that he had a quip, that he'd always dangle down into a situation and be smarmy about it. He'd find a way to undercut it with some sly humor. And I think that that's the thing that made him distinct. Not only, you know, does he do the webs and do everything that you would expect a man spider to do, but that he had a sense of humor where I found most other superheroes were virtuous and noble and didn't have nearly the same kind of personality. I think that it made him more relatable when I was younger. And I did read a few of the comics. I did have a comic book reading phase. I did read Iron Man for a little bit. So I did know him just by the sheer connection of that character with Spider-Man. They had a few issues together that I owned. But by and large, I did not collect the comic. I didn't know much about it. I know of the characters mostly from who was in the, that 60s cartoon. I also think one of the things that made Spider-Man relatable is even though his name is Spider-Man, when he was created in the 60s, he's a high school student. And he was the age of basically Robin or Bucky or any of these other sidekick characters. But instead of being the sidekick, he was the hero. It was a great empowerment fantasy for a lot of teenagers that I don't have to look up to Batman. I can be Spider-Man. Also, he didn't have that older adult to teach him how to be a hero. So in the comics, we see him evolve. We see how he grows into the role of Spider-Man. You know, when we get into his origin story, we'll see how he majorly screws up. And he's not very good with his superpowers. He doesn't choose to be good. You know, we think of Batman or Superman and they have all the power in the world or they're the smartest detective in the world. And they just decide to be good guys because that's what you do when you have a lot of power. Well, no, Spider-Man with Peter Parker, that's something he had to learn. And that's a powerful story. It is, and it's one depicted very well in Raimi's film, and I'm sure we will be talking about it next week. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's right. For Spider-Man, we're actually doing two a week for free, just because we don't have a lot of time until the new movie comes out. July 4th, uh, everyone's going to see what the latest incarnation is, but we're starting here at the beginning, I guess. Arnie, give me some backstory on this movie, because I don't know when it occurred. This was back in 1977, again on CBS, and this was back around the time of Hulk and Wonder Woman and all these other TV series that were superheroes on CBS. But before Hulk, actually, right? Yeah, you're right. It was a few months before Hulk. Hulk would be November of 1977, and this Spider-Man movie we're talking about today, the pilot, was in April of 1977. But Spider-Man had a weird release schedule because, again, they were just doing a pilot movie, seeing if it took off. So this one two-hour episode aired as a movie of the week in 1977, and then there was no more Spider-Man on the air for about a year. April of 78, the series began. Hmm. And that would be around the same time, a little after Hulk had 
become a regular series as well. Am I correct in saying this never achieved the notoriety or the ratings that Wonder Woman and Hulk did? I mean, he might have bested Cap. I don't think Red Brown made much more impression than this, but honest to God, I can remember Hulk and Wonder Woman and watching that as a child. This, no clue. This show was a hit in the season it was on, the first season. It was 19th of all shows on network television. Hmm. But it didn't last very long for reasons that we will get into on Friday when we discuss the last episode, which also aired as a two-hour special. Hmm. Everything else in between was just a regular episode. But I think the reason why you're not thinking of it, Stuart, is because it just doesn't have that many episodes. Counting the movies, there's a total of 13 episodes. Hmm. It doesn't have a legacy. It didn't reach the number to hit syndication. Unless you're heading to the cons like I do and dealing with shady people who have DVD burners or you're surfing the bad side of the net that's going to get the Department of Justice cracking down on your house and taking your dog. This is kind of hard to find. Well, then why don't you give him a pot? Peter Parker is a Ph.D. student studying nuclear chemistry, putting himself through grad school by taking freelance photos for the Daily Bugle's cantankerous publisher, J. Jonah Jameson. Needing money to pay for science lab parts, $46, as Jacob pointed out. Peter is desperate to take photos that Jameson and his editor, Robbie Robertson, will buy. So when an anonymous terrorist holds the city for ransom for $50 million, Peter is on the case. The terrorist claims to be able to use mind control, demonstrated through a series of robberies conducted by upper-crust citizens who then rammed their cars slowly into brick walls while escaping the scene. The terrorist says that if the city doesn't pay up, ten random citizens will commit suicide Friday at noon. But as happenstance would have it, Peter was bitten by a spider. A radioactive spider doused by radiation from one of Peter's experiments. The spider gave the grad student the proportional strength, speed, and agility of a spider, as well as the ability to stick to walls and a spider sense that allows Peter to sense impending danger. He also fashions for himself web shooters that he wears on his wrist, allowing him to swing around town and net criminals. Spotted while stopping a random mugging, the Spider-Man, as the newspapers call him, is almost as big a news story as the terrorist. And wanting to protect his identity, Peter fashions a unsubtle red and blue outfit and uses his alter ego to investigate the terrorism, hounded in both identities by Captain Barbera, who is suspicious of the grad student always showing up at the crashes. But it's actually Peter who uncovers the plot. While taking photos of a mind-controlled crash victim, Peter meets the man's daughter, Judy. Judy tells Peter that her father was involved in a human potential group. Stuart, you're the 70s expert. We'll have to talk about this. We will. And Judy thinks that that group may be related to her father committing a crime. Peter and Judy visit the cult, and Judy is taken with cult leader Edward Byron's teachings, but Peter is skeptical. Sure enough, Byron is the terrorist, and his cult is being hypnotized through strobe lights and lapel pins that keep the victims under his control. Peter discovers a strong broadcast coming from the center and goes as Peter to investigate, but is hypnotized by Byron to be one of those ten killing himself at noon on Friday. Peter goes to jump off the top of the Empire State Building, but wouldn't you know the luck, his pin catches on one of the fence posts and it releases him from Byron's control. So as Spider-Man, he goes back to Byron's headquarters, fights some kung fu dudes, and uses his web to tear down Byron's antenna, releasing the city from the mind control. But the antenna's breakage caused feedback in the control room, and Byron himself is hypnotized. 
Spider-Man plants the suggestion that Byron should go confess everything to Captain Barbera. And Captain Barbera is starting to come around on this Spider-Man guy, but Daily Bugle editor Jameson thinks Spider-Man is good to sell papers, but the police deserve all the credit. But New York is safe for another day as credits roll on Spider-Man. Now, I've seen these episodes before, and when this started, I didn't remember anything putting it in. So, can you imagine my unbridled joy when the credits start? (laughs) Well, even if you don't like Spider-Man, you definitely want to shake it on the disco round. It is some funky waka 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 70s disco. It's got the horns going, and it's really weird. It's like I'm watching Spider-Man on TV on a TV because the credits are taking up a good 80% of the screen, and in a very small square, we're teased by a man in nylon pajamas climbing walls. He's voguing. He's modeling. It's almost like he's at a photo shoot because he like he's hanging on a wall, but he'll turn and be like, what, me? You know, he'll give the model <laughs> face. It really is kind of funny. Zoolander, the Spider-Man edition. Definitely. I mean, Arnie, you are the soundtrack guy. Is this soundtrack available? I want it. (laughs) Yeah. I have already ripped portions of it. I will email you the MP3s because there are long segments of this entire episode that are the music without effects, and I had to have it. It's my ringtone. I kid you not. (laughs) The cartoon theme song is hard to beat, but this comes a close second. I don't know who does the score for the Raimi movies, but they're going to have to work hard to improve upon this. Elfman has his sights set on you now. Mm. But the costume, I've seen better costumes at Comic-Con, and I realize that a lot of time has passed, but still, this costume is embarrassing in this opening scene. I'm going to say it right now. You're never going to win me over with this costume. The last time I was impressed with this costume, it was on my ass. It was an underoo. I mean, (laughs) I really feel like it is hard to make bright red, bright blue body stocking ever look cool. And I dare say it never will for me. But we'll see. I had you in mind when I was watching this, talking about bright red. I had flashbacks of Daredevil. I'm like, that. (laughs) if that made Ben Affleck look like an asshole, what is this suit doing? I, nothing good. But I was honestly confused again. This was released on VHS in the 80s. I don't have a VCR anymore. I did buy this on bootleg. And when the credits started and Spider-Man is vamping and voguing, I'm immediately thinking I'm watching the wrong thing. Because I'm like, we have to have an origin story. We always have an origin story. If Spider-Man's in the opening credits, am I watching a different movie? Am I watching one of the episodes? I stopped the movie and had to go dig to find out I was watching the right thing. But yeah, they just tease us with Spider-Man here in the beginning before we go to a Spider-Man-less New York. Well, it may be no lonely man walking down the road, but it's at least better than a dude in a shagging wagon driving down Highway 1. (laughs) (laughs) But in the next scene, I had like a repressed memory come up. Because in the very next scene, we're in a doctor's office, and he's seeing a patient. The clock ticks, and all of a sudden you hear, and it hit me. I'm like, it's the Manchurian Candidate Spider-Man plot. I know every bit of this all of a sudden. The sound triggered me. (laughs) You were a sleeper agent. You thought you hadn't seen this, but you had. (laughs) And it was that instant sound with the doctor. I'm like, I know this. (laughs) It was a memory from at least... 20 years ago. 
Yeah, a, a doctor leaves mid-patient and then a lawyer in the middle of an argument. It's the clock. They're triggered to go at a certain time. I don't think it's the noise. They have been told that at this time, you're going to get a car together and go rob a bank. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with this plot. <laughs> It only gets crazier as the movie goes on. So if you got problems now, I mean, I'm holding on for it, but go, go, Arnie. I don't have any problems yet, and I will wait till we get there. But yes, we have these two professionals pulling one hell of a caper. Was it their car they were driving that had the gun and the gas bombs in the glove box? (laughs) I can only presume those were a present from their uh, employer. But yes, that is their car. I can't imagine it's a company car. (laughs) But it's got gas grenades, all of it just sitting right there in the glove box. It was 70s New York. Come on, a dangerous place then. (laughs) It definitely was, which would make me think that they could handle this level of attack. I mean, (laughs) if you wanted to rob a bank, why do you think a lawyer and a doctor are your best way in? It's like a joke, right? A lawyer and a doctor rob a bank. I mean, you just need a rabbi and a priest and you got a punchline. Yeah, definitely. The punchline is that after they do the job, they drive straight into a brick wall. And this is pre-airbags in a car. (laughs) It's really amusing because was it supposed to be in slow motion or was it that that's just what the speed of the car was going so that nobody was actually injured? Were they supposed to be dying in these accidents? Going into comas. Nobody dies. (laughs) They all go into comas. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is why they started putting in airbags because every person, this is four of them before it's all over with. And yeah, it's like driving the wall, coma. Driving the wall, coma. Driving the wall, coma. This is why Michael Crichton had a hit with coma in the 70s. It's because of all the car wrecks. Well, car wrecks is it. (laughs) And then I love what happens next because I am a little bit intrigued. It's coming back to me. I know it's mind control. I know it's Manchurian Candidate. But then two obvious bad guys that I know because one of them's wearing a hat. (laughs) come out from behind the garbage in the alleyway where they'd been hiding like in a cartoon. They basically prowl up on tiptoes with their arms in the air, went to the car, steal the money and the lapel pins. So now everything's revealed and another flash hits me. I know one of these gangsters. Did either of you get his face? Uh Uh-uh. No. Did either of you watch Seinfeld? Yes. Uncle Leo! Hello! (laughs) Uncle Leo is the criminal in the hat. Well, at least he had things to look forward to. (laughs) (laughs) Never got out of New York. So already I'm in for a high time, I'm sure. And it gets better in the very next scene where Larry Tate is running the Daily Bugle. Yes! Yes! I knew it was Larry. I was just happy to recognize someone in this movie. Who's he? Larry Tate was Darren's boss, both Darren's, on Bewitched. Acting much the same way. Like, that's his one role. He could be the kind of jerky boss. But he's not a J. Jonah Jameson to me here. No, he's not really malevolent. I couldn't see David White hiring somebody to build spider slayers to go after Spider-Man. He didn't even have the Hitler mustache. He just had that same Larry Tate mustache that he did in Bewitched. They're obviously not going for, hey, let's do what's cool in the comic books. Let's make this look like the comics. It's just, yeah, here's some people with the same name. Well... Already, I'm kind of thrown for a loop because in the comics, Peter Parker is a high school student bitten by a spider, becomes Spider-Man, needs some money to pay for old Aunt May's medicine, and realizes people will pay for photos of Spider-Man. So it was very much a cause effect. 
he wouldn't have been a teenage newspaper photographer if he hadn't already been Spider-Man and the only one who can take pictures of himself. Here, it is a strain of logic that a physicist student getting his PhD, and I know people working on physics PhDs, they don't really have time to be running all over the city taking artful freelance photos for the local paper. This was confusing. I gotta say, I always thought that Peter Parker was an aspiring photojournalist, that that was his career path. But because they have to tell everything that they do here, they have to explain why he's around radioactivity, he's actually a techie. That's his main goal in life, if he could name it, would be to be a nuclear scientist, but he's only freelancing as a photojournalist to make ends meet. Yeah, that's straight from the comics. The whole reason he was bitten by a spider is he was a nerd. He was the ultimate nerd who was on a science trip and actually interested in the science. And he was a genius who was able to create web shooters, this super adhesive that Elmer's would kill for a patent on. This little teenager came up with in his bedroom with nothing more than a school science set. He was always a scientific genius only selling papers to make ends meet. Now, in the 90s, it kind of changed. He gave up science for a while, broke Aunt May's heart that he quit grad school and decided to become a photojournalist. But mostly, it's science, and he even went on in the comics to be a high school science teacher. Yeah, Stuart, you said earlier that you knew Spider-Man because he made all the little quips and jokes. When he's Peter Parker, he is that outcast nerd that can't talk to the girls, can't talk to anyone really. And again, that was one of the great things is that he saw being this superhero wearing the mask as an excuse to be who he really wanted to be. We talked about with, you know, Michael Keaton and, and Bruce Wayne Batman. He's always the same. Like Batman is Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne is Batman. He doesn't change at all when he puts on the suit. But with Spider-Man, it was that total transformation going from the nerdy scientist to the cool jock that's outgoing and friendly. Well, is that what we get here in our lead actor, Nicholas Hammond? Do you guys know him? I honestly didn't. I did have to IMDb this one. Well, he actually did recently appear at a book festival that I attended, hawking his memories as a child in The Sound of Music. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Crocodile That's not a podcast. This is a podcast. <laughs> Yes, for a brief moment in time, he was in the early version of Lord of the Flies, Sound of Music. He was an aspiring child star who wound up playing Spider-Man on the disco round. I kind of like him. I love his hair, first of all. <laughs> that is some Ivy League hair. I gotta say, that hair, it's just very waspy. I felt like... This guy doesn't feel nerd to me, or he doesn't look a nerd to me. I'm getting more like he's in the Yacht Club. What were the twins in Social Network? He's one of them. The Winklevi. Winklevi, yeah. I feel like he's probably never washed a dish in his life. Well, we're supposed to get poverty off him. He doesn't even have $46. But yeah, I guess that's just the poor grad student thing, not really coming from poverty. I guess here's going to be my biggest problem with this, is that we get Peter Parker, we get him being bit by a spider, we get him living with Aunt May, like we're hitting some of the key points of spider-man in the comics but they don't do anything it's like here's the highlights but we don't get reasons why we don't get motivations we don't get the pathos that spider-man's origin story actually has it's just like we're gonna give you the cliff notes and you're gonna love it because it's spider-man and he shoots webs and i might have if i had a deeper connection to our hero here but i don't know he's just kind of just a little too preppy for me i feel like you got preppy i gotta say i didn't get preppy off of him I just got kind of bland, honestly. I didn't get 
anything off of him. He was a blank slate. I liked his persona. I thought he was affable, but I never really got any vibe off him of any sort. Maybe it's because I just don't remember the 70s well enough to realize what the fashion was. Maybe I was too busy focusing on his lab partner wearing a Captain America shirt. But I was hoping for someone with the charisma of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, after watching this performance. Just bland, <laughs> boring. Which Reed Richards? I'd take the Corman one over this guy. <laughs> Harsh, but you know, let's keep it in perspective. If we're talking about 70s TV, I do feel like he's better than Rep Brown. Talk about Wooden, that guy gave you nothing. Uh, Bill Bixty, he had to do a dramatic part. So I feel like the difference here is the difference in character. Whereas Bixby always had to be forlorn and tortured, this guy can be more fun. I like him more because I think I like Spider-Man more than I like Hulk. I kind of agree that may be why I'm liking it, because for those following my Incredible Hulk reviews of the Venganza Media Gazette that are still continuing because I fell behind, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still watching the show. It was a refreshing change of pace to have a lighthearted hero who's lighthearted in both versions. So how did you guys take Peter Parker as a PhD student with that age? Does that fit into what you think of with Spider-Man's age? He's way too old to be living with Aunt May. That's all I got to say. I judge him for that. She's bringing him milk, serving him the dinner. I'm like, boy, you need to get it together. You are too smart to be this much of a bum. I know that he starts off in the comics as a high school kid. I don't know, you know, if you could pull that off in prime time with the syndicated show in the 70s. You got to have an adult, don't you? I don't know. I mean, my only point of reference for kids shows is the 80s when you had Superboy, who was a teenager, and my secret identity, Jerry O'Connell with the spray paint flying around. But I think you could have pulled it off with a teenager. Now, my point of reference for Spider-Man is that he's always been a college student. In those newspaper strips I read, he was a college student. In Spider-Man and his amazing friends, he and Firestar and Iceman all went to Empire State University. To me, he's always been a college student. And so this fit right in, but it kills me because Marvel has come out and said the worst mistake Stan Lee ever made was letting Peter Parker graduate high school. They want him stupid for the rest of his life? (laughs) They just think that the character shouldn't age. And the second biggest mistake, and it was again Stan Lee, Stan Lee created all of Marvel, but Stan Lee decided for Peter to get married. And we'll talk about that marriage later on, but they hate aged spider-man and in the ultimate spider-man universe it's been going on for a decade he's still a sophomore or junior in high school it just time doesn't pass in that universe it does seem somewhat weird that spider-man has aged peter parker has aged so much in the comics started off in high school went to college married a soap opera actress and became a photojournalist because the whole thing in comics is no one ever ages like Bruce Wayne, he's always 30-something, you know. Yet you have Robin who has gone to college, so it gets tricky. When I was reading about Spider-Man, because, again, this is a character that academically, intellectually, like, I really get and understand. I've just never liked the comics I've read about him. But what shocked me was that I think it was 1965, just a few years after the character debuted – There was a college poll from Esquire, you know, who are the cultural icons of revolution and and youth? And you had Bob Dylan, you had Che Guevara, and you had the Hulk and (laughs) Spider-Man. Like, these were, like, hip 
character. So, you know what? You got the college kids liking Spider-Man. Let's, you know, let's have them graduate. Let's get them to college. I, by the 60s, Marvel is really going for that college crowd. They were the ones they'd finally got comics to graduate from kids things to something that college kids read. And, and maybe it was just a way to drag more of them in with this character. Yeah, here, this fits my expectations, and we're going to see more high school Peter Parker and Raimi's, and then again in Andrew Garfield's, so we'll revisit. Now, Jacob, I know what you're getting at about how he gets bitten by a spider and then just becomes a hero because that's the thing to do, but... Again, I'll go back to what I said during a lot of these shows. That's the 70s. The Bionic Man didn't have pathos that convinced him to go town to town. Knight Rider had a little bit, actually. But majority of them, they were good people who were given great powers. And just they were responsible enough to use the powers for good instead of evil. And that's what we have here. Is it disappointing? It's a little thin. But I went with it because this isn't trying to be an entire origin movie like Stuart had said about Hulk, an origin story with no villain. This one is all about the villain. I really felt like this whole episode was just a regular episode of Spider-Man. And they're like, oh, crap, we're going to make this the first one. Let's throw in one scene of a spider bite. You're absolutely right. It's surprising to me that the origin story is completely separate. You know, oil and water does not mix with the plot of the story, which is fighting the cult leader. Nothing that happens in that storyline influences the way that Parker gains his powers and becomes the hero. One has nothing to do with the other. You feel like it could have been any other plot for the other half of the story. Absolutely. It's shocking how weirdly I feel this is told, because it starts with the mind control plot, and then we get like a good 20 minutes of the spider and the learning of the powers. I think the only reason that this is a two-hour episode is because half of it is montage scenes of disco music and spider powers and montages of him remembering, hey, I was bit by a spider to really drive it home for TV audiences. The spider bite gave him the powers. Yes. His his powers. Like, we really see that many powers. Most of it's crawling around on a blue screen with a <laughs> building superimposed. It's now, now. It's now, now. Minutes. Uh, multiple long minutes of him just crawling around. Slowest <laughs> spider in the world. I just have to say, if I painted a wall in my house green and pointed my webcam at it and dressed in a spider suit, <laughs> this is what it would look like. First of all, you should do that and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> Second of all, you really should do that because I needed a good laugh. Third of all, call me crazy. I love this stuff. When he is crawling around on the house and learning his old gifts and all of that, I am overjoyed. This is the kind of silliness that I was hoping for. Hulk was always so morose and depressing and his transformation was always so rooted in anger. And here we can have a hero that's having fun, that's actually enjoying having supernatural powers. I think this is a much more fun origin story than Incredible Hulk's pilot was in these moments it is fun and i I do enjoy it i'm gonna give it some props because there's a number of different techniques used for this there's the blue screen which is really really obvious but probably just because we're a savvy audience right 
I gotta ask, do either of you remember, or was this impressive for the time, or was it silly then? The image quality of the version I have is so <laughs> washed out, it actually helps the movie. I couldn't see the blue screen lines because, you know, everything was this mushy kind of Vaseline on the lens look. And that's how TV was back then. I mean, you, you hear the jokes now about high-def TVs and the newscasters, you know, they gotta get younger and younger newscasters because now you can't even hide the lines and the wrinkles. That's how TV was. I mean, you could get away with it then because the definition was so bad. Yes, but most of the stuff isn't blue screen. I feel like a lot of the Spider-Man stunts is really a stuntman that they have on a wire that they pull and he yeah, You can tell that's full, giving him a wedgie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I really like it when they place the camera at the right spots. They've hidden the wire well. Perhaps again, like you said, Stuart, because the video is so washed out, I just can't make it out. And if they ever did a DVD transfer, I would be like, oh, there's the line. But in the copy I'm watching... It really looks like there's a guy crawling on the wall when the camera's in the right spot. When the camera's in the wrong spot, it looks like a guy's being dragged up a wall while waving his arms and legs in random motions. <laughs> Which is far too often. It is that. But, you know, here's what I suspect, and I'm going to know this for sure on Friday. Did they just shoot, like, go out for two days and shoot all this stuff and said, okay, there's Spider-Man for the whole season. <laughs> and, like, every time he's Spider-Man, it's going to be the same stock footage of him jumping around on buildings. I suspect it will be. I imagine that even though we laugh at this as low budget, for TV, this is incredibly high budget. They wouldn't be able to do this all the time. They'd, it'd have to be a special day for them to get the stunt guy and rig the thing and be able to do this. I'm betting you this is the exact same footage we'll watch again and again and again if we were to see all 13 shows. Well, shoot me, because by next Friday, I will have watched all of these episodes <laughs> and reviewed them on the Venganza Media Gazette. <laughs> So I'll find out. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't learn from past mistakes. I don't have that gene. You still have the past mistake going. I know. I've been bitten by a radioactive idiot. But I do know one of the reasons this show was not made very long is because it was incredibly expensive for the time, far more so than Hulk and its compatriots. So I am hopeful that the scene reuse is to a minimum I did feel, even in this pilot movie, I'm like, oh, you cheap assholes. I saw that scene five minutes ago. He just came up over the ceiling the same way. But you know what? I kind of dig it. Knowing that it's the 70s disco Spider-Man, knowing that it's going to be camp, I'd rather laugh than to try to take this seriously. And I think where the Hulk series failed me was that it asked me to treat its storylines as I would a drama, when really what I wanted was kitsch, camp. And this is closer to that. I enjoy seeing this hero in his full ensemble with all of its flaws. Stuart, you say camp. Camp to me means it's intentionally done a certain way. I don't think this is intentionally supposed to be disco Spider-Man. I think this is a Spider-Man of the times, and that's what they really thought would be cool. I think there's two types of camp. There's two camps of camp, if you will. There's the intentional camp of, like, the Batman 66 show. And then there's stuff that's just campy and corny, and it doesn't mean to be. But then when you look at it, especially with the benefit of distance, it just is campy. The Brady Bunch, for example. Yeah, it's hard to know what they were thinking. And, you know, keep in mind, it's the 70s. Everyone is on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know what they're thinking. And while running from one of these runaway cars is when he learns he can crawl up walls. And he just so happens, while crawling up a wall... To see a mugger. 
I hate it when that happens. <laughs> More importantly, the mugger sees him and it makes him drop the purse that he just snatched. Yeah, he doesn't even have to fight the mugger. The mugger's like, look at that guy with the wedgie up on the wall. I'm just going <laughs> to stare at him. I really thought, because I've read the comics, that Spider-Man was going to leap from that height on the building, do a couple backflips, land in front of the guy and punch him out. No, he just stares at the wall and yells, stop! What decade <laughs> do you think this movie was made in, yes. <laughs> yes, the amazing Spider-Man that we get on the 4th of July will probably do that. This one, you're lucky that he's actually in the air and not on a cardboard set. And I was surprised that so many people saw him on the wall. I didn't realize, I thought just the mugger and everybody would think the mugger was on drugs. But when so many people see him, he becomes a media phenom. And while the whole city is under threat of terrorism... All anybody can seem to talk about at the news office is Spider-Man. Yeah, he doesn't even come up with his persona. It's totally forced upon him. It's like, he's like some kind of Spider-Man. Like, you know, this is the 70s. I, I imagine that's how they came up with the name. It's You see a guy on the wall, it's not Glue Man, it's not The Fly. No, it's Spider-Man. Lucky he was bitten by a spider. If he was bitten by a centipede, it would be very awkward. <laughs> No, I'm the human centipede. Wait, that's something totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the person who sees it isn't J. Jonah Jameson, but his editor, Robbie, who is from the comics. But I was surprised to see him so young and hip in this. I don't know who this character is. He wasn't in the musical. Actually, I think he was. (laughs) This guy, Robbie Robertson, is the level-headed editor of the paper who softens out Jonah's rants. If Jonah had his way, his paper would basically be nothing but propaganda. Robbie's the one who has actual journalistic ethics and can see through a lot of the hype and hyperbole. And while he has to answer to Jonah, he keeps the newspaper respectable and level in the comic. But here, he seems just like... Token black guy. (laughs) Every office needs one. They said we have to. But they just made him so young and so hip that it's like they're trying to go for a different demographic. And I really wonder, as I watch these other episodes, if he and Parker are going to be like buddy-buddy night on the town kind of friends instead of Robbie was kind of a surrogate father in many ways to Peter as he was a teenager or lost his uncle. So there was a very much of a relationship. Many times you wondered if Robbie knew Peter was Spider-Man because he was protecting Spider-Man and protecting Peter from Jonah. So to see him portrayed this way was a shock to me. I was not amazed or shocked. (laughs) I didn't think too much about the character or Jay Jameson for that matter. They seemed like a bickering comedic foil that the young guy seems to be the one who gets it and the old guy who's in charge doesn't. But the media interest in him makes Peter instantly realize, well, I can't show my face while I'm climbing a wall. But instead of just donning a ski mask or something like we saw with Batman Mask of the Phantasm, No, he does something altogether different. Well, where does he get it? Did I miss the cutscene with Arachne? (laughs) (laughs) This is something I have a feeling we will discuss every new incarnation of Spider-Man. But yes, he just so happens to design this costume. I wish there had been some sort of buildup. I mean, at least Captain America Reb Brown was a cartoonist who was either drawing this character or modeling it after his father or both. 
this one, he's up in an attic and comes out with this. Maybe Uncle Ben, like, had a different kind of nightlife. <laughs> it was the 70s. He was never home. Oh, wait, he's dead. That's right. Never mind. Maybe he liked it hot in the 50s. I don't know. But he's got some blue and red tights in the attic. If he's a scientist, I gotta believe this was a hazmat suit. God knows they needed a hazmat suit. They're in that room full of radiation. Spiders are getting into their containers. You can't tell me that's under lockdown. He needed a hazmat suit. I mean, say what you will about that first Bixby Hulk movie. I felt if they were going the same direction with this, where he would have had a reason he was in red and blue. I get that it's red and blue because in the comics you need bright colors. That's how the printing technology was. But really? You're Spider-Man? I don't know about a lot of red and blue spiders. You're supposed to be a physicist or a super scientist, and you're coming up with red and blue for a spider? I know I'm approaching this much too logically, but I don't get it. I have to believe that CBS wanted something different, and I have to believe that Stan Lee, who is a producer of this, said, no, he's got to have the red and blue, because they wanted to turn Hulk red, because red is rage, and Stan Lee was like, no, he's green. You can't change it. And I got to think of how they changed Dr. Strange's outfit, how they changed Captain America's outfit. They had to have had like 18 options of Spider-Man outfit. And Stan Lee's just crossing his arm, shaking his mustache, going, (laughs) it's spandex or I pull the plug. (laughs) Well, then you wear it. You know, you like these cameos so much. Put him in the costume. (laughs) Dangle him off the Empire State Building. Is this Nicholas Hammond in the outfit? I can't believe that he ever actually had to wear it. He's very upset that he was never allowed to, except in, like, the scene where he pulled his mask off. Right. The body language is totally different. I love how Spider-Man walks in the outfit, because he walks like he's in Swan Lake or something. I mean, honestly, I kept getting flashbacks to when I saw Cats. I realized Cats (laughs) was many years later, but maybe Andrew Lloyd Webber saw Spider-Man and is like, A stage of that with tails! It is. I think when you mention ballet and theatricality, it does feel like, yes, this is the kind of performance you give when you can't speak in dialogue. Silent movies. It's big. Grand gestures. Your posture is your voice. And so, yes, this Spider-Man is constantly uh, creating a stance in which he's, I'm looking around. I'm trying to discover. He's communicating through very overt movements what he's doing and for a child's audience, I think. And that's a problem when this is a character known for busting out jokes all the time. Like, this is a pretty silent Spider-Man. I agree completely. I thought he would never speak as Spider-Man. There's one scene where he takes a fall and has to get a cab ride home, and he doesn't even talk to the cabbie at first. And I'm like, is he going to mime the whole series? But he finally (laughs) speaks as like, I need a ride. I was at a masquerade. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually my favorite scene, I want to add. I do enjoy that. I think you're right. This movie could have used a little bit more of that sass. It could have looked a few more breaking the fourth wall and saying, hey, can you believe my luck kind of stuff? Because it's silly. And I just feel like for any adult watching this, they would need a pop of Quaalude to get through the rest. (laughs) He says to Robbie and Jameson, and he has a web. And I'm thinking, well, you're kind of talking out of your ass, no spider web pun intended, because he couldn't shoot webs. And now I'm like, are we back at the biological web shooter? Is he going to develop a way to shoot a web out of him? No, a few scenes later, we see him creating these enormous devices to put on his wrist. Well, come on. They had a house lassos in there. (laughs) I mean, this is what I remember about this TV show was the rope 
webs. Help me out. The whole debate, organic or mechanical web slinging. How was it originally? What is the sacred text on this? How is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be mechanical because if you make it organic, the statement among fans, I say go with whatever serves the story best. But diehard fans say that Peter Parker's greatest strength is not his spider powers, but his mind. And if you read a lot of the early comics, like he fights the Sandman and his strength and agility and webs do nothing against the Sandman. It's when he uses his mind and goes, water will turn him into mud. That's when it stops them. Same thing with Electro. He can't punch Electro or he gets electrocuted. He uses his mind to get out of the problems. So they say if you make it an organic web shooter, you take away Parker's greatest power, which is his unique genius. Well, okay. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. As for how it's executed here, I was reminded of wristwatches that I wore <laughs> in the 80s at that point. They actually would have arcade games that you could play on your watch. I had a Pac-Man. Yes. Very similar to this web slinger. I found myself thinking of that more than really paying attention to how it was used. It's barely here. I mean, they do it because they know they've got to get in it. But he barely uses the web slinger and i don't think it's because they want to show his cunning i think it's because the webs don't come out so good that's part of it i also love that they show he has web cartridges which is a big thing from the comics one of the problems with an organic web shooter is you can never run out in the comics it was always the ticking clock i only have this last web cartridge well here they show him with web cartridges so i expect i'll see some of that in the series but it's velcroed on i'm like how is that shooting anything? There's no mechanics. It's Velcro. You hear the Velcro sound as it attaches. Hey, I had some real good shoes that way. They stayed on through many a muddy run. <laughs> and how does he get that under those gloves? Not very well. It's obvious the stuntman in the outfit is not wearing them because they're so huge. If you're going to go sci-fi, I would have gone the entire other direction. Make it super small. Make it transistors, not tubes. Yeah, they act like they have to make this realistic. Um, it's about a radioactive spider that bites a guy and he gets powers. You could fake the science. <laughs> but if the web shooters aren't bad enough, whenever he shoots him, not only does it look bad when he shoots him, Stuart, but what comes out is a mess. Sometimes it's a rope. Sometimes it looks like a silly string net. I actually go with this Spider-Man when he's climbing walls and fighting throughout this. Anytime that web comes out, I want to punch someone in the face. Jeez, that's quite a reaction. <laughs> it really is, but that's what I was feeling. Is I'm like, anyone in particular? I wanted to punch myself in the face because I was the only one in the room. Obviously, Marjorie would not watch this. <laughs> She's dialing nine and one and waiting for you to get close. <laughs> Step in my direction. Uh, you know what? Well, you're a passionate fan, and I recognize that. I recognize this as a weakness of costuming, but part of the fun now. It probably sucked at the time, but it's funnier now that it doesn't look good. I actually think it improves the viewing experience that this is so shoddy. It does and it doesn't. I think that's just the one step too far. I mean, I think Spidey Super Stories did it better. I have to get to that review on the Venganza Media Gazette to find out for sure. But this is all happening in the background of our primary plot a terrorist cult is taking over new york if it was los angeles i'd make a scientology joke well yes you've actually hit on something that i felt strongly about this is for a supervillain a very west coast concept at the time <laughs> this would be very very topical 
1977, you have up in San Francisco, Jim Jones about to take all of his disciples down to Guyana to drink some Kool-Aid. You've got, yes, L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology in full bloom. And you've got Est, E-S-T. I remember that. There was a movie I saw with uh, Burt Reynolds about that. Yeah, Werner Erhard. I've met many people whose family have been under his influence, and they had very strong opinions about how he works. But he is the primary model for how this cult is operating. And it definitely is an attack on something that was very topical and very threatening to a large number of people at the time. They did pick a hot topic villain, for sure. We even saw this at the end of Doctor Strange. Now, that did have supernatural villains, but they were going for that whole cult, kumbaya, self-improvement thing in that show. Yeah, no, I agree. I was definitely thinking about Strange, although that was a supernatural character. Whereas here, Byron, their model, he's just a bad dude that knows how to hypnotize. All right, so he knows how to hypnotize. I said I had a lot of problems with this. I guess let's try to break it down. I'm going to do what I always do, and I know it's a fatal flaw, and try to apply some kind of logic to the villain's plot. He has this power to hypnotize people, and he has this cult which seems to be successful with or without the hypnosis, because Peter's maybe girlfriend, Judy, who I didn't recognize the face, but I recognized the voice. It was the girl from Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, yeah. The girl? Yeah. I love that girl. What girl? (laughs) (laughs) Jenny, the girl who has to get rescued from Malin. Remember, I watched Beverly Hills Cop every day after school. Okay. For like a year. So I know Jenny. I know Jenny well. Well, I don't recognize a single person in this cast. But Jenny goes to this cult and she's taken with the cult, even though they didn't hypnotize her. So I'm thinking instead of robbing banks or extorting the city, he should go L. Ron Hubbard and just turn it into a church and make the money legally. He'll even be tax exempt. I I definitely think you're on to something there, Arnie. I also think it's really a problem if every week your followers are leaving you to go in comas after they (laughs) rob banks. I think the police are going to catch on. I think you're going to have a hard time getting new people to join if everyone that follows you is in a coma. Well, you got Uncle Leo there stealing the pins, so they won't know. (laughs) Wasn't the whole guys that this was like a self-improvement group? I wrote this down because I had to know what the hell this was. Judy tells Peter her father is going to a special group, human awareness, human potential, that sort of thing. I'm like, what sort of thing is that? Wait, wait a second. (laughs) So it's there to build their human potential, but they're all doctors and lawyers. They've pretty much used their potential to be successful in life. Like, that's what I don't get. Honestly, I got kind of an S&M thing off of it because you know how they say, The people who are very powerful in their daily life like to go and be dominated. Here you have doctors and lawyers go, and this guy berates them. You've lived for so long in your mind, you've probably never lived anywhere else. (laughs) This is classic EST training, by the way. This is almost verbatim the way that Earhart worked, that he would chastise. He'd break you down. Like a woman's like... My dream is to have a house in the country. You're stupid. I mean, like, literally, that's how it plays out here. I mean, anything that you want, you're stupid for wanting it. You'll never be happy by trying to be happy. You can only be happy if I tell you you're happy. It's a way of breaking people down and letting them be controlled. I think this 
would play much better if these were young, hippie-ish types, post-counterculture types. You're right. The fact that it's doctors and lawyers, it might work well as a surprise for a bank robbery, <laughs> but it really doesn't make sense that these people are the ones that would allow themselves to be shepherded by anyone. Actually, I could see it if it was like the hip thing to do, if it was like keeping up with the Joneses. Oh, everybody's going to a human awareness club. He needed a fondue set. I feel like he needed something to bring you in. Because there's very little. There's a couple pews. You walk in a very gaudy chandelier. Maybe it was nice at the time. But other than that, there's not a lot of icing on this cake. It's like, sit down and let me tell you how awful it is that you want to be happy. You gotta entice. I I feel like Byron needs to dangle a carrot before the stick gets used. And so he's got these people to do his bidding under hypnosis and go into comas. One guy, Noah Taylor, Judy's dad, doesn't go into a coma, and he's gonna die, but Peter happens to be there and surreptitiously saves him. So he sends the kill order for Noah to kill himself. Fortunately, Spider-Man saves him. After crawling on a building for 20 minutes. Yeah, he just sits on that ledge for a long time. I'm like, if you're programmed, wouldn't you just go? He just sits on the ledge like he's daydreaming and looking down like, I don't want to do this. But I never got any impression of any resistance to the mind control when they're robbing the bank. And Why does he just sit up there? More to the point, they're going to get into problems later with this pen idea. How close to the pen do you have to be to be under the control of it? Is it the sound that's being made, or is it the fact that it's touching you? I thought it was the sound, because it was the brrrr. You know that old man can't hear nothing (laughs) in that frequency. It's got to be like vibrations or something. I mean, it's stupid, whatever it is. And whatever. Okay, I'll go with the silly cornball plot. But yes, it is an extrapolation to say that he would wait that long on a ledge if he were being told to jump. More to the point, why was he robbing things after the first robbery? I thought, well, the plot is use these people to rob and take the money. But then he does the extortion plot and says, I did this basically as a proof of concept to show you I could. Now give me 50 million. Okay, (laughs) then why are you still robbing banks? And can I just say that is quite an optimistic person that thinks a New Yorker is worth $5 million. (laughs) I mean, I don't think that the average New Yorker would piss on you to put the fire out on you. (laughs) Why would they agree to use their tax-funded money for 10 random people to be saved? It's not 10 people that are going to attack innocents. It's 10 people are going to jump off a bridge or a building or into a subway. Really, you're not going to get five bucks. I'm sure more than 10 people do that every day in New York anyways. What's the big deal? I I was just thinking that in a city of three million, you got to have more. I'd be like, just 10? That's a light day. (laughs) Yeah, clearly he hasn't thought the whole thing out yet. So he continues to rob the banks for reasons unknown. And did he not have 10 people? Because Peter goes in to investigate and he gets hypnotized and is made one of the 10. Did somebody else get a reprieve or was Edmonds like, whew, I thought I was only going to have nine. (laughs) (laughs) But during all of this, Spider-Man does some investigating because I had to do some research on this too. Because he's working on his web shooters, I think, when a voltage meter on his desk starts going wild. My godfather had one of these in the 70s. I knew that was not measuring microwaves in the air. You had to plug something in to test it. But it goes crazy, and so he instantly is able to use his spider sense or something to get to the building. 
Believe it or not, they actually set this up. It took me a second to realize, but that whole 46 bucks he needs, it's to get something that was sent to him COD out of hock. And that something was that very device that he was building. He just so happened to be building the thing that told him what the microwaves were. It's almost as lucky as being bitten by that spider. Yes, the, <laughs> truly character-driven plot here. <laughs> Serendipity plays a large role in everything happening, but at least they don't have a Greek goddess drop down and tell them what to do. Illusion! To clue the listeners in, head to Marvelicious Toys from February of last year to hear Stuart, Marjorie, and I review Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Wait, that really happens? Yes. I was trying to think back in like Thor and Hulk or something. I'm like, <laughs> no, in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the Greek goddess Arachne comes down and gives him an outfit. Oh, wow. Somehow that show is still on Broadway, but all that stuff is gone. Unfortunately, from what I hear, all of the most amusing artistic decisions have been excised. So you really do. If you want to know what we're talking about, you're going to have to go find that show. It's worth a listen. But I did realize that package was important. I thought in the very first scene, it was just there to give Dave some funny quips in the lab and to set up that Peter Parker was poor but when he kept asking for the $46 and finally he goes to Judy and he's like can I have $46 and after all you've done for me which I don't think is much sure I thought that's all the plot summary was going to be Peter needs 46 bucks because it seems to go on for a long time <laughs> but he then is seen carrying the package I'm like alright this has gone on too long there's something in that package and yeah it turned out to be a device that helps him track these microwaves that he then immediately fumbles with his spider reflexes and drops. Another payoff. They set it up that he's been sneezing this whole time and Aunt May has been telling him, take your allergy medicine. Well, he doesn't and that's why it breaks. Kids, take your allergy medicines. Maybe we have a listener in the audience that could tell us, but do spiders get allergies? I thought having these spider powers is supposed to be a good thing. He's supposed to be strong now and agile, but nope, still got the allergies. <laughs> he has strength and speed, but he better take his Benadryl. Again, just such an awkward moment. Talking about unintentional camp. Yes, I was cracking up when he dropped his little machine there because he was sneezing. Even better, once he gets into the place... Ninjas! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's it's like the hands returning. That was so damn random. I couldn't believe it. They had set me up for gangsters and guns and anything. Yes. People in robes, you know, evil cult members. I know what that looks like. Uh-uh. With these three Asians with bamboo sticks in black kimonos or karate geese are there to start whacking him and one of them looks familiar too but i couldn't find him on imdb the bald one i know i've seen him in like mutant ninja turtles as like shredder's right hand man or something as silly as these ninjas are i did get kind of excited because i enjoy ninjas and spider-man kind of looks like a ninja so maybe we're gonna get a decent action scene and yeah, we kind of do. We get some goofy speed up the camera, so it looks like they're moving really fast. But there's some decent choreography in this little fight. Maybe it's because I've been stuck in Hulk hell for so long, but I loved the fight. Me too! I was so in energized by this fight and the fact that there was choreography and dodging and punching and kicking. I mean, for the 70s, I think back, Hulk would just throw people and... Captain America would just throw his shield or one punch. This was the first prolonged combat I can recall seeing in one of these shows, and I loved it. 
seriously, how did they do some of this stuff? The people are standing there. He jumps on the ceiling. He jumps on the wall. This isn't just turn the set sideways and film from a different angle. They did some cool wire work here before wire work was really known in Hollywood. Yeah, I was shocked by that. I couldn't believe the scene where he climbs on a wall. Somebody runs in from the side. He kicks them and then lands again. I know there's a wire on him. But I don't see it. Now, maybe it's because I'm watching this really small. 18th generation video. (laughs) (laughs) It was cool. There's no doubt about it. I don't care how much money they throw at me in the later ones. For this budget at this time, for this silly-ass Spider-Man, this is exactly the kind of fights I would want. Yes, Hulk got to break and smash things up, but he never had a fight that was as much fun that I saw as this. I just wish... That Spider-Man had talked, because the hypnotized ninjas being mute, I go with. Especially since you have to pay a stuntman more if they speak. But I wish Spider-Man would have had some great lines, you know, about ninjas in New York or something. It's rife for jokes, even if they're bad ones. It really would have fit if there had been something. But there's not even music during this. There's no cool disco There's no funny quips. It's dead silent except for the sticks hitting. By the way, you guys, I guarantee I'm going to make you watch Spider-Man again. If you go watch this scene again, there's a scene where one of the ninjas almost accidentally hits the other one in the head and they left it in. And the other ninja (laughs) has to like do this what the hell kind of move (laughs) and facial expression. They weren't the best ninjas. But they did bring a flamethrower to a web fight. I do like later when it gets on the rooftop. Spider-Man tries to get away. They bust out a flamethrower. That boy falls. It was awesome. I love that. It was unexpected. It was great. It was gonzo. I couldn't believe they had a flamethrower. I know, and I really do like this POV stuff. They really did get some people out there with a camera helmet or something. There are shots of hands and kind of the stuff that we see in the trailer for the new movie that's all CGI. What we get the live action version here on TV, and I think it's just as cool, if not cooler. Yeah, Stuart, as much as I didn't like a lot of the blue screen effects, when it was over the shoulder or however they did it, you just see his hands crawling around there. I actually did really enjoy that stuff. It, it was different than what I was expecting. I agree. I, it really gave a feeling of height to it because the camera looks out and you go, wow, there's somebody on a scaffolding really high up. I did like that. It made me think I was playing Doom for a while, but that's my 1990s mentality going to a 70s show. But yeah, I was impressed by those shots. It was unexpectedly different. I will look forward to knowing from your reviews whether they were able to keep up this consistency in the action. Because if they could deliver this every week, I think that it should have been a much bigger hit. It should have the kind of following that Bixby Hulk did. Well, you're saying this like it's been nonstop action this whole time. Come on, this is, what, 90 minutes and and we get maybe 10 minutes of action here? I focused on what intrigues me here. and Since when? (laughs) (laughs) Only when it's from the 70s, do you? (laughs) Perhaps. But yes, usually when I'm having fun, I can overlook huge problems, but you bring up a very big one, a near-fatal one. This it should be, at best, a one-hour show stretched out to a two-hour movie, 90 minutes of content plus commercials. It is kind of painful. I don't know. I'm enjoying it because there's so many of the montages interspersed throughout. It may not be good action, 
But this is almost wall-to-wall action. Whether the wall is a car hitting a wall slowly, or the action (laughs) is the spinning off of a tree branch to test out your webs, there's something constantly going on. And when there's not, I have to say, we haven't talked about Captain Barbera yet, and we need to, because he's a major part of the first season of Spider-Man. He's Spider-Man's cop partner. Is this created for the show, or is there a comic book character equivalent? It was created for Columbo, but they stole it for the show. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought he was George C. Scott. (laughs) Yeah, I was going back to Exorcist a little, too, with Columbo. But I kind of like this cop. I thought he was a funny presence. Like when Peter's there taking pictures of a dying man behind a wheel, and I'm like, why doesn't somebody get him an ambulance? They do explain he's pinned, but... (laughs) I thought he was dead. I was like, this is really strange. The lack of attention to a corpse. I guess it's New York. Where can you say? (laughs) But when Peter's like, I work for the paper. Well, pardon me to step in the way of the First Amendment. I, I love this cop. He's seen part McGee to me where he's always like, Parker, where are you when Spider-Man's around? Like, he, he's kind of like trying to figure it out. I don't know if he's supposed to try playing dumb, but he also came up as almost J. Jonah Jameson to me, like the way he should have been. Yeah, there you go. It really almost feels like a redundant character because he is just as barking and obnoxious more so, really. He's better at being angry than J. Jameson is. I think that they kind of were giving the same performance and this guy does it better. So I'm gravitating towards him. He also seems to be at the end won over by Spider-Man. He's the one that kind of seeds, ah, we wouldn't have solved this case without him. Whereas Jay Jonah never will give that Spider-Man is a asset for anything. Which is another thing I like about Barbara, who he's like, well, we couldn't have done it without Spider-Man. But if that's how you're going to report it, I'll take the credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, there's some fun here. I I do agree that he makes a pretty good foil and better than the newspaper editor. Well, the newspaper editor, I will say, this is David White's only performance as Jameson. By the time the series got off the ground, he was recast or had other jobs. So maybe in our next TV movie, he does better. And then we get the final fight. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, except I love the fact that the cops don't give the money. They just arrest Uncle Leo and his friend on the airplane. Like, ah, screw those 10 people. We're just going to catch who we can. Well, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Everybody knows that. They couldn't give up $50 million for an idle threat like this. They did what they had to do. Plus, they didn't have it. I think Jonah Jameson makes the comment, they can't even pay the garbage men. You know, there were strikes and literally just trash was laying out on the sidewalks. You can't expect New York to cough up that kind of cash for 10 people. It just wasn't going to happen. As you mentioned, Spider-Man is one of the people hypnotized. He's gone to the Empire State Building, and they do real location shooting. They're not faking it. He's up there about to jump off. And I love seeing the top of the Empire State Building in the 70s. I love New York. I go once or twice a year for the past six years. I can't get enough of the city. So seeing it in period, I love that. It was a huge thrill for me anytime they were in the city shooting and that scene especially. 
Yeah, and as he's getting up there, the pen gets knocked off, and now he comes to his senses. I, I don't understand. I thought it was the sound. Is it the touch? It's very inconsistent. C- come on, this is a Spider-Man that never looks into why he has these powers from the spider. Is someone just gives him his 46 bucks so he could accidentally discover these brain waves. He doesn't do a lot to actually save the day. A lot of accidents happen, and here's the next one. The pin just falls off. They should have got a sharper pin. I'm actually okay with this, but I wish... Wish it had gone one of two other ways. Way one, the pin would have fallen off or been caught there, but like the guy in the hospital room, Peter still jumps, realizes halfway down, oh crap, and webs himself to safety. <laughs> you think you want that until they have to film that. <laughs> I'd be fine with him suspended by blue wires against a blue screen going, ah! <laughs> would you really like the mannequin on a rope they'd push from the window? <laughs> Yes, I would. I admit it. You're right. That would be hilarious. The other thing I wish they'd done is, given that Peter's spider powers haven't really played into any of this, I would have loved it. I mean, when he's at Aunt May's after being hypnotized, his spider sense goes off and he walks outside and he just kind of walks outside and nothing's happening. I would have liked it if his spider sense or spider powers in some way saved him rather than happenstance. I was fine with the happenstance of the spider because that's how he got his powers in the comic. I was fine with the happenstance of the device because, honestly, I missed it. But the happenstance of the pin instead of the spider powers making him survive it, that kind of pissed me off. Yeah, you've got a good point. The happenstance of it, it's aggravating. And because he comes to his senses and he dashes off to get into his suit to bring down the satellite dishes before the nine other people are going to jump. I can only presume that they didn't jump in the, what, 20 to 30 minutes it would take for him to do that because (laughs) Byron's method of making them jump is to type destroy in parentheses. Maybe he's just not a very fast typer. Should have taken a class. Welcome to Pascal 101. Or maybe it's Lisp. Lots of insanely (laughs) stupid parentheses. I don't know, but, you know, it's a silly finale. It's not a lot of action. They already got that out of the way. The ninjas... The ninjas turn good and don't even fight them. They just, like, shake hands. They do more than that. They mug for photos with Spider-Man that he then sells. And Javis is like, this is unbelievable. And he means that you got the photos. I'm thinking it's unbelievable that they were just, like, posing like they're a camp trip. I thought he was really pissed at first when he's like, this is unbelievable, because they are the dumbest photos ever. If you're going to get photos of Spider-Man and ninjas, they should be fighting each other, not (laughs) shaking hands, giving thumbs up. It was a Coors can away from a beer ad. It was funny, though. I'll give him that. If You're not going to give an awesome fight, and I don't think they could top what they had already done in the hallway. Eh, This is kind of a way to go. Make everyone under Peter's control, and Peter makes them turn themselves in. And, of course, everyone converges at the police station to talk about what it all means. Judy's there. Is Judy coming back, or is she just the tartar of the week? Is this just who he's banging this week, and there'll be another female in trouble next week? I'm sure she's only the tartar of the week, because I've looked her up on IMDb. She had bigger things to do, like Beverly Hills Cop, an officer and a gentleman. I mean, because Spider-Man's girlfriend is... Who is it? Is it Gwen Stacy or is it Mary Jane? Well, let's let's save that, okay? We'll get into it. All right. Whatever. I, I, all I'm saying is I never heard of no Judy, but <laughs> I'll be surprised if she's there on Friday when we do the last episode. If it helps, Spider-Man's had a lot of girls, but Gwen and Mary Jane are the two big ones who we will discuss in time. 
Not too bad for a science nerd. Well, he did become a superhero and lose the glasses. Besides, I don't think she even was the tart of the week because when he asks her out, she's like, well, I need to get right with myself first. Maybe with this cult, this girl's a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that going to her father's cult, she didn't even find it on her own. It's really helped my dad drive into a brick wall. Maybe it'll work <laughs> wonders for me. Yeah, let her go, Spidey. Moving on. Moving on. Well, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Spider-Man? Jacob? So at the end of this movie, Peter Parker is asked, how do you get these pictures of Spider-Man? How are you able to do it? And he says, simple, I believe. (laughs) I cannot share that sentiment. I do not (laughs) believe, I will not believe that a man can become a spider by watching this TV movie. Look, if it was a campy Spider-Man fights ninjas and it was tight and an hour at the most, I could go with it. There's some great music here. Again, some great choreography and the climbing scenes, you know, they go on a little bit too long at times, but I was able to dig some of them, but not at the length that this movie is. It's just silly and not in an entertaining way. I found myself bored and I I wish someone would have hypnotized me so I could actually pay attention to it because it didn't work for me. Not recommended. Stuart, can you believe that I'm really torn? And even in this moment, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I have been debating going back and forth. It's a train wreck. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But it's my kind of train wreck. I kind of feel impelled to recommend it. I mean, I think about it as TV, and my criterion is always compulsively watchable. I said yes to Doctor Strange. I said no to Incredible Hulk pilot. That was just too pretentious for me. It was too maudlin and ended up looking too silly. You can't ask me to take something so seriously that was so dumb. But this knows it's dumb. Or if they don't know it's dumb, I sure do. And it's fun. But you're right, Jacob. The length. It's the length. If this were a Batman 66 half-hour length, I really would be behind it. But you know what? The gag may be old. I may be over it on Friday. I don't know if I could recommend this again. But you know what? Spider-Man fans, check this out. I'm going to say recommend. (laughs) Somehow, I'm going to say recommend for a silly disco Spider-Man. You need to see it. You need to see how they pulled it off. It's better than Broadway. I'll give you that. I'd rather turn this on than turn off the dark. Wow. And I'm right there with you, Stuart. I am in that exact position. It is dull, especially in the early scenes, and it goes on too long and the plot makes no sense. But you gotta see it! <laughs> yes. <laughs> gotta see it. Especially Spider-Man fans. If you can laugh at your hero or with it, I'm not quite sure. You gotta see it, and some of it is truly impressive. I agree. And it's made even more impressive when it's surrounded by the buffoonery and amateurishness of the rest of it that when it does something cool it's a hundred times cooler because you're like holy shit how'd they do that (laughs) compulsively watchable i tell you that's the criterion for tv it's not whether it's good or bad this is bad but it is compulsively watchable i didn't want to turn it off i wanted to follow it to the end and i swore after the incredible bulk of episodes i agreed to watch i would never do tv for venganza media gazette again but after seeing this i'm like i needed to see every episode and share it (laughs) thank god there's only 13 that helped it is 
compulsively watchable. I, if this was a pilot, I'd be in the same boat I am right now. Give me more. Now, will I feel this way on Friday? We will see. But yes, I am recommending. So it's two webs up. Yep. <laughs> for Spider-Man 1977 against all odds. God, I'm going to get some shit for this. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't even going to look on Facebook for a month. <laughs> for a year, because if you don't recommend, like, the theatrical one, you're yeah. gonna hear, he recommended that! <laughs> yeah, seriously, yeah, whatever, if I give no, a not recommend to any future Spider-Man, boy, am I gonna be raked over the coal. <laughs> I have to ask, Arnie, maybe we'll find out when you watch all these, but what's the formula for this? Is it just, we're gonna fight a different goofy villain every week? I mean, we talked about with the Hulk, we knew what the formula was. It's a different girl, different town. Same with Captain America. It would have gone down that same road. I'll speculate. Peter Parker's working for the Bugle. A crime comes in on the newspaper. He goes to take photos. He solves the crime as Spider-Man leading the Barbera to the criminals at the very end. That is what I figure it'll be week after week. It's a great storytelling engine, isn't it? You work at a paper. You're constantly going to have a new crime coming into you. You don't have to have him just stumble into a town where it happens to be going on. Crime will come to him because it's his job. And it's New York in the 70s. (laughs) That too. (laughs) Who needs Electro and Lizard when you got the people that are running that city? (laughs) Well, we will be back on Friday when he battles in New York the Chinese web? What? Uh, so? <laughs> I just hope it's those three ninjas again. <laughs> oh, no. May get a recommend out of me after all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can keep going with it, but I'm intrigued. Let's keep watching. Let's see this to the bitter end. And if you need more podcasts in between, if you haven't donated yet, remember our donation series is still going on. Aliens to Prometheus. For $10 or more, Spielberg for $25 or more. But we will be back with a bonus for free show this Friday, Spider-Man The Chinese Web. If it's on YouTube, I'll post a link. And until then, remember, with great podcasts come great responsibility. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. He was the only one who could have stopped Octavius. Yes. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. It's good to have you back, Spider-Man. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. It's hip, it's now, it's wild, and how? Crawl on the World Wide Web to NowPlayingPodcast.com each Tuesday and Friday as we review another Spider-Man movie through the release of The Amazing Spider-Man in July. What are you waiting for? Chinese New Year? Go, go, go! And be sure to visit the Venganza Media Gazette at VenganzaMedia.com forward slash gazette to read Arnie's reviews of every episode of the 1970s Spider-Man TV series. Far be it for me to interfere with the First Amendment. Be my guest. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives. You can find reviews of other comic-based movie series, such as The Avengers, Batman, X-Men, Blade, Ghost Rider, and Punisher. Hey, where are all my comic books? Oh, those dreadful things. I gave those away. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Rocky, Transformers, The X-Files, Tron, and many more. There are bigger things happening here 
than me and you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I am so loving this. Oh, me too. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Game. Looks like just in the nick of time. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. I'll be there. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going. I'll be here when you get back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. You can find a donate button using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Meet. I'll send you a nice box of Christmas meat. Best I can do. Get out of here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Looks uncomfortable. It gets kind of itchy. It rides up in the crotch a little bit, too. Now Playing's Spider-Man Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Misery, misery, misery. That's what you've chosen. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. And I've never even seen his face. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Columbia Pictures. Spider-Man and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company. And no infringement is intended. What are you, his lawyer? Get out of here. Let him sue me. Get rich like a normal person. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I missed the part where that's my problem. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Enough said. Uh, obviously, we're going to be saying uh, today we're discussing the Amazing Spider-Man. And where do we get the Amazing Spider-Man? It wasn't even in the title sequence. Is it just Spider-Man in the no, title? Was, it? was you it? Sure. I just no. saw Spider-Man. I I threw it away already. You want me to look? I have it. I'll pull. It I did like the now. credits. I like the <laughs> the music. There's yeah, that's good, what I mean. I definitely some good fun. Yeah, it was. That's one of my jokes, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's. Yeah, I've got it let me start here. it up right yeah, now. Yeah, me too. I think when I looked it up in IMDb, though, it was under Amazing Spider-Man, but I was just wondering where the they got The show is called Amazing Spider-Man. That much I know. Now, what the title right. credit said, I don't know. Yeah, it just I, says Spider-Man, and it's a picture of him crawling up a building. Then I guess we're today we're discussing Spider-Man. No, do, do the Amazing. You could do Amazing. I just, I just thought it was I, weird. If you look it up on IMDb, it is called It is the, under Amazing, yeah. Yeah. But, but is, I think the, is, the, is the, yeah, is the series under? Yeah, I guess it is. All right. The series is, yeah. But it just says Spider-Man on the poster. I'm sorry. Now he's <laughs> conflicted. We're going to have a half-hour discussion. With the <laughs> yeah, I, we're I just going to go with Spider-Man. We're just okay. going to go with Spider-Man. All right. Okay. Um, who's the director? Okay. I love this director's name. <laughs> All right. We'll get there. Yeah. There's a reason David Crichton had a successful book in the 80s. Who's David Crichton? Coma. Jurassic. Didn't he Jurassic Park. Yeah, Didn't Jurassic. he write a book on coma? <laughs> That's Michael Crichton, and he wrote it in the seventies. Da- did I say David Crichton? Yeah. You did. David Crichton's a guy I work with. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't write shit. <laughs> no, he didn't even write documentation for his systems. <laughs> <laughs> you're fired, David. If you're listening to this, I've lost all respect. Well, he actually did recently appear at a book festival that I attended, hawking his memories as a child in The Sound of Music. Yep. Yes. 
Yeah, if you don't remember him from Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, I suppose Sound of Music's where he'll go. Well, we'll cover him when we get to that retrospective <laughs> in, what, Hell Freezing Over? I think that's when we got that schedule. <laughs> Crocodile that's Dundee not a podcast. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, we, I will continue to remain ignorant about his later works, but yes. I think Spidey Super Stories did it better. I have to get to that review on the Venganza Media Gazette to find out for sure, but when I review Spidey Super Stories, I've gone too far, and please help me. What's, what is that again? Is that the Electric oh, Company stuff? Yes, the Electric Company stuff. Oh, I, would, I do remember and that. Narrated by Morgan Freeman. I wrote this down because I had to know what the hell this was. And it was? I, I gotta get to that point later. <laughs> they say... Like Splinter's right-hand man or something. Shredder's right-hand man. Shredder's right-hand man or something. This is David White's only performance as Jameson. By the time the series got off the ground, he was recast. Or had other jobs. So maybe in our next TV movie, he does better. Wasn't he dead? I, I read that. I read that one of them died. Hold on. He, uh, he died um, in 1990. Oh, it's Byron. I'm sorry, Byron died right after filming this. Oh, <laughs> oops. This was his last performance. It's all but that feedback mind. that got turned on him. <laughs>